everybody, and welcome to the Growing Up Caster Weekly Feel Good Podcast with more Peter and Wendy chapters. We talk about two new virtual reality games, and I talk about some of my personal health and fitness goals. That's right, this week we have three brand new chapters of Peter and Wendy. I talk about the Iron Man VR demo and Gorn, both of which are on PlayStation VR now. And I talk about how I hit one of my weight and fitness goals. But before we get further into it, I did want to talk about one thing that I'm doing new for Patreon right now. And for all my all my Patreon supporters, uh, basically what we're doing is I've started a Pokemon Nuzlocke run video series that is exclusive to Patreon. It is already up. The first episode is up on Patreon right now. You can watch it there. And I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I'm aiming for weekly episodes. I think that's doable. Um, I think. I think it's doable. But uh, that is that is the goal. I'm probably going to upload them on Tuesdays, like of the day of the podcast, but don't hold me to that. It's, it's going to be pretty intermittent. But I will always tell you when the next episode is out on the podcast. Um, so, you know, check back. And I'll try to message everybody on Patreon and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I've wanted to do a Patreon exclusive thing for a while especially a nuzlocke run because i've been doing them on my own for a little bit and having the uh security and encouragement of the actual video series to keep me on track it should be a pretty fun time so first episode is up on patreon night now it's open to backers of all levels so um anyone can watch it as long as you're a patreon supporter and i hope you guys enjoy it like i said hopefully weekly episodes Um, feel free to shoot me like name suggestions for, for friends we'll capture, uh, and imprison in our balls along the way. And, um, hopefully this will be the start of exclusive stuff like that. Uh, and in the spirit of exclusivity, I've always thought about doing like audiobooks for Patreon and stuff like that, but that I would eventually release. I am being adamant about the Pokemon series that it will never appear anywhere else besides on patreon that that is the only way you can watch it i i won't put it up on the on the website later i really want this to just be exclusive for for the patreon supporters so i just want to i just want to make that clear that is that is the goal um yeah and i hope you i hope you guys enjoy it if you want to watch the series go to patreon.com forward slash going up cast and become a patron or patron a patron a patron at any level um and you will be able to see the videos so I hope you enjoy them. And yes, it is filmed on my phone. It sounds jank, but it's it's really not that bad. Could it be better? Sure. But this is uh this is the the best way I could do uh, with the budget I was allotted, thanks to all of your wonderful support. Let us move on to the next thing in the podcast. And I hope you like the Pokemon. Chapter eleven. Wendy's story. Listen then, said Wendy, settling down to her story with Michael at her feet and seven boys in bed. There once was a gentleman. I'd rather he'd been a lady, Curly said. I wish he'd been a white rat, said Nibs. Quiet, the mother admonished him. There's a lady also and... Oh, mummy, cried the first twin. You mean that there's a lady also, don't you? She's not dead, is she? Oh, no. I'm awfully glad she isn't dead, said Tootles. Are you glad, John? Of course I am. Are you glad, Nibs? Page 163. Rather. Are you glad, twins? We are just glad. Oh, dear, sighed Wendy. Little less noise there, Peter called out, determined that he she should have fair play, however beastly a story it might be in his opinion. A gentleman's name, Wendy continued, was Mr. Darling, and her name was Mrs. Darling. I knew them, said John, uh, John said to annoy the others. 
I think I knew them, said Michael rather direfully. They were married, you know, explained Wendy. And what do you think they had? White rats, cried Nibs, inspired. No. It's awfully puzzling, said Toodles, who knew the story by heart. Quiet, Toodles. They had three descendants. What is, what is descendants? Would you owe one twin? Do you hear that, John? I am a descendant, page 164. Descendants are only children, said John. Oh, dear, oh, dear, sighed Wendy. Now, these three children had a faithful nurse called Nana, but Mr. Darling was angry with her and chained her up in the yard, so all the children flew away. It's an awfully good story, said Nibs. They flew away, Wendy continued, to Neverland, where the lost children are. I just thought they did. Uh, Curly broke in excitedly. I don't know how it is, but I just thought they did. Oh, Wendy, cried Toodles. Was one of the lost children called Toodles? Yes, he was. Hey, I'm in a story. Hooray, said, um, I'm in the story, Nibs. Hush. Now I want to consider the feelings of the unhappy parents with all the children flown away. Oh, they all moaned, though they were not really considering the feelings of unhappy parents. One jot. Think of the empty beds. Ooh, page 165. It's awfully sad, the first twin said cheerfully. I don't see how it can have an happy ending, said the second twin. Do you, Nibs? I'm frightfully anxious. If you knew how great is a mother's love, Wendy told him triumphantly, you would have no fear. She had now come to the part that Peter hated. I do like a mother's love, said Toodles, hitting Nibs with the pillow. Do you like a mother's love, Nibs? I do jest, said Nibs, hitting back. You see, Wendy said complacently, our heroine knew that the mother would always leave the window open for her children to fly back by. So they stayed away for years and had a lovely time. Did they ever go back? Let us now, Wendy said, bracing herself with the finest effort. Take a peep into the future. They all gave themselves the twist that made peeps into uh, the future easier. Years have rolled by. Who is this elegant lady of uncertain age alighting at London Station? Page 166. Oh, Wendy, who is she? Cried Nibs, everybody as excited as if he didn't know. Can it be? Yes. No, it is. The fair Wendy. Oh! And who are the two noble, noble portly figures accompanying her? Now grown to man's estate. Can they be John and Michael? They are! Oh! See, dear brothers, Wendy said, pointing upward. There is a window still standing open, and now we are rewarded for our sublime faith in a mother's love. And so they flew up to their mum and dad, and Penn cannot describe the happy scene over which we draw a veil. That was the story, and they were as pleased with it as the fair narrator herself. Everything just as it should be, you see. Off we skip like the most heartless things in the world, in which what children are, but so attractive. And we have an entirely selfish time. And then we have the... Um, and then, when we have need of special attention, we nobly return for it, confident that we shall be embraced instead of smacked. So great indeed was their faith in a mother's patron seventh love that they felt they could afford to be callous for a bit longer. But there was one who knew better, and when Wendy finished, he uttered a hollow groan. What is it, Peter? She cried, running to him, thinking he was ill. She felt him uh, solicitously, solicitously, lower than down his chest, lower down than his chest. Ugh. Where is it, Peter? It isn't that kind of pain, Peter replied darkly. Then what kind is it? Wendy, you are wrong about mothers. They all gather around him fright. So alarming was his agitation. With a fine candor, he told them uh, what was hitherto concealed. Long ago, he said, I thought like you that my mother would always keep the window open for me. So I stayed away for moons and moons and moons and then flew back. But the window was barred. For mother had forgotten all about me. There was another little boy sleeping in my bed. I am not sure that this was true, but Peter thought it was true, and it scared them. Page 168. Are you sure mothers are like that? Yes. So this was the truth about mothers, the toads. Still, it is best to be careful, and no one knows quickly, um, no one knows so quickly as a child when he should give in. Wendy, let us go home, cried John and Michael together. Yes, she said, clutching them. Not tonight, asked the lost boys bewildered. They knew in what they called their hearts that one uh, can get quite well without a mother, and that it is only the mothers who think you can't. 
At once, Peter, uh, Wendy uh, replied resolutely for the horrible thought to come to her. Perhaps mother is in half mourning uh, by this time. This dread made her forgetful of what must be Peter's feelings. She said to him rather sharply, Peter, will you make the necessary arrangements? If you wish it, he replied as coolly as if she had asked him to pass the nuts. And then here is another etching of um, the uh, 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 picking uh, ninny tribe just standing above the tree. And then everybody down in the uh, down in the, the home. And there's a big old fucking bed. Like that scene in Charlie and Chocolate Factory. And Peter's just looking like, ah, fuck. Not so much as a sorry to lose you between them. If she did not mind the parting, he was Peter 169 going to show her. Uh, he uh, show her was Peter. Then neither did he. But of course, he cared very much, and he was so full of wrath against grown-ups who, as usual, were spoiling everything that as soon as he got inside his tree, he breathed intentionally quick short breaths at a rate of about five to a second. He did this because there was a saying that in Neverland: every time you breathe, a grown-up dies. Peter was killing them off vindictively as fast as possible. Holy fuck! Peter is twisted. Then, giving, uh, then having given the necessary instructions to the indigenous peoples, he returned home to where an unworthy scene um, had been enacted in his absence. Panic-stricken at the thought of losing Wendy, the Lost Boys had advanced upon her threateningly. It'll be worse than before she came, they cried. We shan't let her go. Let's keep her prisoner. I chain her up. To her extremity, an instinct told her uh, to which of them to turn. Toodles, she cried. I appeal to you. Was it not strange? She appealed to Toodles, uh, quite the silliest one. Grandly, however, did Toodles respond. For that one moment, he dropped his silliness and spoke with dignities. I am just Toodles, he said, and nobody minds me. But the first who does not behave to Wendy like an English gentleman, I will bloody him severely. He drew his hanger. For that instance, his son was at noon. The others held... Oh, that's good. I like that. Like a standoff. Um, the others held back uneasily. Then Peter returned, and they saw at once they would get no support from him. He would keep no girl in Neverland against her will. Went Wendy, he said, striding up, to her, striding up and down. I've asked the indigenous peoples to guide you through the wood, as flying tires you so. Thank you, Peter. Then, he continued in a short, sharp voice like one accustomed to be obeyed, Tinkerbell will take you across the sea. Wake her, Nibs. Nibs had to be knocked, had to knock twice before he got an answer, though Tink had been, uh, really had been sitting up in bed listening for some time. Who are you? How dare you? Go away! She cried. You ought to get up, Tink, Nibs called, and take Wendy on a journey. Of course, Tink had been delighted to hear Wendy was going, but she was jolly well determined not to be her courier, so she said in still more, uh, and so she said so in still more offensive language. Then she pretended to be asleep again. She says she won't, Nibs exclaimed, aghast at such insubordination, whereupon Peter went sternly towards the young lady's chambers. Tink! He rapped out. If you don't get up and dress at once, I will open the curtains and we shall see you, um, and we shall all see you in your negligee. This made her leap to the floor. Who said I wasn't getting up? She cried. In the meantime, the boys were gazing forlornly at Wendy, now equipped with John and Michael for the journey. But by this time, they were dejected, not only merely because they were about to lose her, but also because they felt she was going off to something nice, which they had not been invited. Novelty was beckoning to them as usual. Page 172. Crediting them with a nobler feeling, Wendy melted. Dear one, she said, if you, come, if you will all come with me, I am almost sure I can get my father and mother to adopt you. The invitation was meant specifically for Peter, but each of the boys was thinking exclusively for himself, and at once they jumped with joy. But would they think us rather a handful? Nibs asked in the middle of his jump. Oh no, Wendy said, thinking it out loud. It will mean it will only mean having a few beds in the drawing room. They can't be hidden behind screens on, on first Thursdays. They can be hidden behind screens on first Thursdays. I don't know what that's referencing. Peter, can we go? They all cried imploringly. They took it for granted that if they went, he would go also, but really they scarcely cared. Thus children are ever ready whenever novelty knocks to desert their dearest ones. 
All right, Peter replied with a bitter smile. Immediately, they rushed to get their things. And now, Peter, Wendy said, thinking uh, she had put everything right, I'm going to give you your medicine before you go. She loved to give them medicine. Undoubtedly gave page 173 of them too much. Of course, it was only water, uh, but it was out of a calabash. And she always shook the calabash and counted the drops, which gave it a certain medicinal quality. On this occasion, however, she did not give Peter his draft, for, she, uh, for just as she prepared it, she saw a look on his face that made her heart sink. Go get your things, Peter, she cried, shaking. No. He answered, pretending indifference. I'm not going with you, Wendy. Yes, Peter. No. To show that her departure would leave him unmoved, he skipped up and down the room, playing gaily on his heartless pipes. She had to run after, um, run about after him, though it was rather undignified. To find your mother, she coaxed. Now, if Peter um, had ever quite had a mother, he no longer missed her. He could do very well with that one. He thought them out. He had thought them out and remembered only their bad points. No, no, he said, uh, he told Wendy decisively. Perhaps you would say I was old. And I just want, um, and I just want always to be a little boy and to have fun. But Peter, no. And so the others had been told. Peter isn't coming. Peter not coming. They gazed blankly, their sticks over their backs. And on each stick a bundle. Their first thought was that if Peter was not going, he had probably changed his mind about letting them go. But he was far too proud for that. If you find your mothers, he said darkly, I hope you will like them. The awful cynicism of this made an uncomfortable impression, and most of them began to look rather doubtful. After all, their faces said, they, um, were they not noodles to want to go? Interesting. After all, their faces said, were they not noodles to want to go? Now then, Peter cried, no fuss, no blubbering, goodbye, Wendy, goddammit. And he held out his hand cheerily, quite as if they must really go now, for he had something important to do. She had to take his hand, as there was no indication that he would prefer a thimble. You will remember your, about changing your flannels, Peter, she said, lingering over him. Page 175. She was always so particular about their flannels. Yes. And you will take your medicine? Yes. And every, uh, then seemed to that seemed to be everything. An awkward pause followed. Peter, however, was not the kind that breaks down for people uh, before people. Are you ready, Tinkerbell? He called out. Aye, aye. Then lead the way. Tink darted up the nearest tree, but no one followed her. For it was at this moment that the pirates made their dreadful attack upon the indigenous peoples. Above, where all had been still, the air was rent with shrieks and the clash of steel. Below, there was dead silence. Mouths opened and remained open. Wendy fell to her knees, but her arms were extended towards Peter. And all arms were extended towards him. Evis, as if suddenly blown in his direction, they were beseeching him mutely not to desert them. As for Peter, he seized his sword. The same thought he had slain, or uh, the same he thought he had slain barbecue with. And the lust for battle with is in his eyes. Because Peter is a fucking horrible monster. So one of the things we like to talk about on this podcast is virtual reality video gaming. We talked about uh, Walking Dead Saints and Sinners like a week or two ago. I can think it was last week, actually. Um, when we talked about that game. But anyway, I wanted to talk about a game that is coming out for the PlayStation VR, and I believe that's it pretty soon here. I believe it comes out in July. And that is the Iron Man virtual reality game. So I was tentatively excited about this. Um, I felt that Iron Man was going to be one of just another in a long line of basically kind of point and click rail shooters, which virtual reality seems to be very fond of. Um, not that that's a bad thing, it's a pretty smart game design um it's inexpensive to put together you can standardize the expectations of the game you know you have a fixed camera blah 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 
pretty easy to put into a virtual reality thing on the uh, more inexpensive side of video gaming and like be able to turn a profit because one of the big risks with virtual reality is that it's still not mainstream enough for a lot of people so a lot of big studios don't want to invest in a virtual reality game so most of it right now is indie games and a lot of smaller titles iron man um is quite good i will say the demo itself is like 30 gigabytes which is absurd but i think what sets iron man apart from other kind of uh fixed camera rail shooters is a the the freedom of movement you have as the iron man character is pretty incredible it's always fun to move as a superhero like the playstation 4 spider-man game in my opinion was really successful because it was fun to move as spider-man his movement and the way he traveled was fun to do and that is pretty much like one of the biggest aspects of that game is traversing new york and finding like all the collectibles and stuff like that so in order for this iron man game to succeed you need to feel like you're fucking Iron Man. You need to feel like you put on the suit and you are Iron Man. And I think in that it excels. Uh, the way you have to place your hands behind you, like you're jetting forward, the angle of your hands uh, will alter your thrust through the air. Um, and this is one of those things where it's like flying takes a second to get used to. And whenever I ran into things, it wasn't because the controllers bugged out or the game was shitty. It's because I wasn't really good at steering myself just yet. So that was a lot of fun, just zipping around and all that stuff. Um, this is one of those uh, kind of home immersive techniques that I feel like is um, very applicable here. I actually saw somebody um, on Reddit post this as well. So it's good to know I wasn't the only one that thought of this. But if you put a fucking fan in front of your face when you're in VR, especially with this game, it'll help with the immersion. And you'll just be lost into it a lot faster. The demo itself takes about 30 to 45 minutes. It runs you through three missions. Uh, kind of like a time trial race structure where you, where you fly through rings and you shoot things and stuff like that. Um, and then there is one where you're basically just kind of sitting on an airplane and you get to fuck with some stuff. And then you have to fly through the air as the airplane is being shot to the ground by drones. And the balance between keeping yourself afloat and actually firing your hand blasters, because um, you can't do both at the same time, you're either flying or you're falling and shooting shit, and then you're flying again. Sometimes you can like have one hand hold yourself up and pew 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 with the other one. Um, and like the balance between those, whilst you're also trying to zip around and dodge shit, um, it's, it's a lot of fun and it feels pretty intuitive the game looks really good the game sounds really good you can tell this is a vr game with some money behind it which is nice it's not that i don't enjoy indie games it's just that when it has the polish and they've taken the time to do it really 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 well um it shows and i think iron man is one of the best looking smoothest VR games I've played so far. Again, this is just the demo. I don't know about the full game, but I'm hoping that it is just more of this because the demo was very exciting. There is something about embodying a superhero, in my head at least. It could be because I'm a big superhero nerd, but when you do that in virtual reality with the Spider-Man VR game, with the Batman VR game, and now with Iron Man, each time I, I don the suit of a superhero, it's just so fucking cool. Like, when you play it in a game on your desktop, it's one thing. But 
when you pick up the cowl of Batman and you put it on your fucking head or an Iron Man when you're falling out of the airplane and you're collecting the armor pieces as you fall and it's like you lift your left hand and the gauntlet lands and then you get hit in the chest with the chest piece and then your helmet smacks you in the face. It's, it's exciting. And it's not something that you can really experience in any other medium. You really have to do it in virtual reality in order to get that, that superhero impact. So, yeah, Iron Man VR is fucking great. Um, and I cannot wait for it to come out uh, officially sometime in July. I can't remember. But eventually in July, this game will come out. I also played Gorn, uh, which came out in PlayStation VR. Originally released on the Vive, I believe. Um, I, I don't know if it's an indie game anymore. It's one of the more popular, well-known um, VR games. And honest to God, the reason I got Gorn was because I kind of wanted some... Um, VR cardio based activity. I might get Beat Saber for the same reason. Uh, but Gorn itself is tricky. It's fun, but it's kinda. It's. There's not a lot there. There's some different weapons, and there's some different enemy types, and there's a little bit of strategy to it. But once you figure out how to move around the world and basically wiggle the controller so your weapon just flies at like the speed of light. Um, and just ragdoll smacks these guys all around the, the stadium. It kind of loses its, uh, its difficulty. And I think Beat Saber might have a bit more in terms of longevity because it's like, sure, it's, you know, you swing the controllers to hit these things, but each song is different. And, you know, there's, there's more to it than just kind of whacking a dude. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a lot of fun, but there's not a lot to it beyond that. It feels more like a tech demo than it does a proper game, but... Perhaps I'm just being cynical at this point. Both are really fun. I think Iron Man naturally is higher up on that list, even though that was just the demo. But it was a fucking exciting demo. I haven't been this excited for a VR game since Moss, and Moss is one of my favorites. So let's see if Iron Man can compete. In the meantime, let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Oh, God. I did abs yesterday and my whole fucking stomach is sore. Anyway, chapter uh, 12. The children are carried off. Oh boy. This All right. <laughs> the pirate attack had been a complete surprise. A sure proof that the unscrupulous hook had conducted it improperly. For, these, for to surprise indigenous folk fairly is beyond the wit of the white man. Jesus. By all the unwritten law of savage warfare, it is always the indigenous folks who attack, and with the wiliness of his race does it just before the dawn, at which time he knows the courage of the whites is to be at its lowest ebb. The white men um, have, in the meantime, made a rude stockade on the summit of yonder undulating ground, at the foot of which a stream runs for its destruction is, um, for it is destruction to be too far from water. There they await the onslaught, the inexperienced ones clutching their revolvers and treading on twigs. Page 177. But the old hand sleeping tranquilly just until just before the dawn. Throughout the long black night, the savage scouts wriggle snake-like among the grass without stirring a blade. The brush closes behind them as silently as sand in which a mole has dived. Not a sound is to be heard, save when they give vent to a wonderful imitation of the lonely call of the coyote. The cry is answered by the other braves, and some of them do it even better than the coyotes, who are not very good at it. So the chill hours wear on, and the long suspense is horribly trying to the pale face. 
who has to live through it for the first time. But to the train hand, those ghastly calls and still ghastlier silences are but an imitation of how the night is marching. That this was the usual procedure was so well known to Hook that in disregarding it he cannot be excused on the plea of ignorance. The Piccaninnies, on their part, trusted implicitly to his honor, and their whole action of the night stands out in marked contrast to his. They left nothing undone that, with, uh, that was consistent with the reputation of their tribe, with the alertness of their senses, which is at once the 170 marvel and despair of civilized people. They knew that the pirates were on the island from one moment, uh, from the moment one of them trod on a dry stick, and in an incredibly short space of time, the coyote cries began. Every foot on the ground between the spot where Hooks landed his forces and the home under the trees was stealthily examined by braves wearing their moccasins with the heels in the front. They found only one hillock with a stream at its base, so that Hook had no choice. Here he must establish himself and wait just before the dawn. Everything being thus mapped out with almost diabolical cunning, the main body of the indigenous folks folded their blankets around them, and in a phlegmatic manner that is uh, to them the peril of manhood squatted above the children's homes, awaiting the cold moment when they should deal pale death. Here dreaming, though wide wake of often exquisite tortures to which they were to put um, at him at break of day, those confiding savages were, um, yeah, confiding savages were found by the treacherous hook. From the accounts afterwards supplied by such of the scouts as escaped the carnage, he does not seem, page 179, even to have paused at rising ground, though it is certain that in gray light he must have seen it. Though uh, no thought of waiting to be attacked appears uh, from first to last to have visited his subtle mind. He would not even hold off till the night was nearly spent um, on he pounded with no policy but to, uh, but to fall to. What could the bewildered scouts do, masters, um, as they were of every warfare, warlike artifice save this one, but trot helplessly after him, exposing themselves fatally to view, while the, uh, the while they gave pathetic utterances of the coyote cry. Around the brave tiger lily was a dozen of her stoutest warriors, and they suddenly saw the perfidious pirates bearing down upon them. Fell from their eyes then the film through which they had looked at victory. No more would they torture at the stake. For them, the happy hunting grounds now. Uh, yeah. They knew it, but as their father's sons, they uh, acquitted themselves. Even then, they had time to gather in a phalanx uh, that would have been hard to break had they um, had they risen quickly. But they were forbidden to do so by the traditions of their race. It was written that the noble savage must never express, page 180, surprise in the presence of the white. Thus terrible at sudden appearances of pirates must have told them their, they remained stationary for a moment, not a muscle moving, as their foe had, as if the foe had come by invitation. And then, indeed, the tradition gallantly upheld, they seized their weapons, and the air was torn by, uh, was torn with the war cry. But it was now too late. It is no part of ours to describe what a massacre, uh, um, what was a massacre rather than a fight. Thus perished many of the flower of the Picanary tribe. Not all unavenged did they die, for with lean wolf fell alf mason to disturb the spanish man no more among others who bit the dust were geo scoury chas turley and the alcetanian fogarty turley fell to a tomac from the terrible panther who ultimately cut a way through the pirates with tiger lily and a small remnant of the tribe to what extent hook is to blame for his tactics on this occasion is for the historian to decide had he waited on the rising ground till the proper hour he and his men would probably have been butchered and in judging him in uh 
in judging him, it is only fair to take this into account. What he, page 181, should perhaps have done was to acquaint his opponents um, that he proposed to follow a new method. On the other hand, this, as destroying the element of surprise, would have made his strategy of no avail, so that the whole question is beset with difficulties. One cannot at least without withhold a reluctant ah, admiration. I am struggling all over the place today. Admiration. Now I've lost my place in the book. My God, I am useless. Um, where was that? There it is. Of the wit that had conceived so bold a scheme and the fell genius with which it was carried out. What were his own feelings about himself at a triumphant moment? Fain would gain his dogs have known. Nope. Fain would his dogs have known. As breathing heavily and wiping his their cutlasses, they gathered at a uh, discreet distance from his hook and squinted through their ferret eyes at this extraordinary man. Elation must have been in his heart, but his faith did not reflect it. Even in dark and solitary enigma, he stood aloof from his followers in spirit as in substance. The night's works was not yet over, for it was not the indigenous peoples he had come out to destroy, but uh, they were but the bees to be smoked so that he should get at the honey. It was Pan he wanted, Pan and Wendy and their band, but chiefly Pan. It was mostly Pan. Page 182. Pan was such a small boy. No one tends to wonder at the man's hatred of him. True, he had flung hooks armed to a crocodile. Even this, uh, but even this and the increased insecurity of life to which it had led owing to the crocodile's pertinacity. 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 Pertinacity? Whatever. Um, tenacity. Hardly accounted for the vindictiveness so relentless and malignant. The truth is, is that uh, there was a something about Peter which go to the pirate captain to frenzy. It was not his courage. It was not his engaging appearance. It was not engaging appearance. It was not. There's no beating around the bush. For we know quite well what it was and have got to tell. It was Peter's cockiness. This gown on Hook's nerves. It has made his iron claw twitch. A night it disturbed him like an insect. While Peter lived, the tortured man felt uh, he was a lion in a cage into which a sparrow had come. The question now was how to get down the trees, or how to get his dogs down. He ran his greedy eyes over them, searching for the thinnest ones. They wriggled uncomfortably, uh, for they knew he would not scruple to ram them down with poles. In the meantime, uh, what of the boys? We, page 183, had seen them at first clanging weapons that turned on. Uh, they went to stone figures, open-mouthed, all appearing with outstretched arms to Peter's. And we returned to them with their mouths closed, their arms falling to their sides. The pandemonium above had ceased almost as suddenly it had arose passed like a fierce gust of wind, but they knew that um, in the passing it had determined their fate. Which side had won? The pirates, listening avidly at the mouths of the trees, heard the question put uh, by every boy, and alas, they also heard Peter's answers. If the indigenous people have won, he said, they will beat the tom-tom. That is always their sign of victory. Now Smee had found the tom-tom, and was at that moment sitting on it. You will never... <laughs> you will never hear the tom-tom again, he muttered. But inaudibly, of course, for the strict silence had been enjoyed to his amazement, Hook signaled uh, to him to beat the tom-tom. Slowly there came to Smee an understanding of the dreadful wickedness, wickedness of the order. Never, probably, had the simple man admired Hook so much. Page 184. Twice Smee beat upon the instrument, and they stopped to listen gleefully. The tom-tom! The miscreants heard Peter cry, an, in an Indian victory! The doomed children answered with a cheer that was music to the black hearts above, and almost immediately they repeated their goodbyes to Peter. This puzzled the pirates, but all their other feelings were swallowed by a base delight that the enemy were about to come up the tree. They smirked at each other, rubbed their hands. Rapidly and silently, Hook gave his orders. One man to each tree, and the others arranged themselves in a line two yards apart. 
So this wait, this chapter is called what is it called? The kids get kidnapped, but that's the end of the chapter. Kid, they didn't get kidnapped. Children are carried off. That's what the chapter is, but that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Oh my god! How dare they? I feel they lied to me in this chapter. My my compatriots, we have been we have been hoodwinked. I say hoodwinked. So, earlier this week, I hit a goal that I had set myself, um, that I've been striving towards for a little while now. Um, a couple of months back, I went to the doctor for the first time in what felt like years, and uh, we had a conversation about my physical being. Um, and I want to I want to stress that I did not go on my weight loss journey because of what the doctor said. Um, I mostly did it because there are a lot of things like bungee jumping and skydiving and ropes courses and stuff like that that all require you to be under a certain um, weight limit. And I also wanted it to be like... So originally when I was gaining weight, um, it was it was designed to be muscle and stuff like that because I wanted to be... Um, like around 200 pounds and then I shot past that and ended up closer to like I think 226 or 223 was my was my heaviest weight and so over the last couple of months I've been slowly working my way back down um, I lost the first like 10 pounds like super quickly and then after that it it was a slower rate of progression but earlier this week I finally got to the goal I set myself for the end of May you know um, which was to have my weight start with a one and it did. It was like 199.8. Technically under it, but it started with a 1. So I was like, yes! Um, and my goal is 190. Um, the idea being that if I'm 190, you know, just me, um, regardless of whatever I wear in terms of clothing, unless it's like a bunch of coats and stuff, um, I will still sit under 200 pounds. That's the, that's the goal I'm striving towards. And... It got me thinking about, you know, fitness and eating right and stuff like that. And some of the changes I made, um, like moving from whole milk to reduced fat milk to eventually no milk at all. From making microwave quesadillas um, pretty much every morning for breakfast to making a plate of like rice and beans. Uh, with more or less the same ingredients that would have been involved in the quesadilla, but it's just a different avenue of delivery and in my head it's tastier because uh, the rice and beans are very flavorful um, and it's paying attention to things like sodium content and fiber um, and all sorts of stuff and I feel like um, it's it's been a, a journey of like discovery as well figuring out what kind of healthy foods I enjoy eating Figuring out that even though, well, right this very second, a little bucket of McDonald's fries fresh from the fryer sounds amazing. I know it's going to make me feel like garbage because of the fat content. Just stuff like that. And I wanted to do a kind of general encouraging statement that um, regardless of what uh, changes you want to pursue whether you want to bulk up whether you want to trim down whether you want to lose weight or whatever uh it's all it takes is time really um you don't have to do everything overnight i think that's one of the things i learned from my my culinary changes and my my fitness changes 
um, it can be gradual. Granted, your your weight loss or gain or whatever changes you're seeking to you know achieve will in turn be gradual. If you do things slowly, it'll take a while to have the changes occur, but they will occur. And I kind of prefer the the slow method. If you do something super jarring to lose weight, like you just cut out all dairy and all meat, just like gone, you just stop cold dead. I think that's less successful uh, because it's so sudden and you'll kind of get skittish easier. And so you'll be more likely to um, rewind the clock and go back to the way you ate or behaved before the big sudden change. But if you ease into it, slowly filter in like instead of having that quesadilla maybe you take a tortilla off of it you know like i did that first um i realized that the tortillas were a big source of calorie and carbs and so i took the top tortilla off and just left it open-faced and i started slowly reducing my calories like that using less cheese using more protein adding vegetables all this stuff you know very slow alteration changes um, and I feel like that was a really smart way to do it because with each new iteration, I was moving more and more along my goal and moving further and further away from what it used to be before. And I think that really worked out great for me. So I just wanted to briefly share my su success story. I still have 9.8 pounds to go, um, which based on my, my track record of losing weight will probably carry me through to July would be my guess. And then I will finally hit my goal. Um, it's going to be another month to two months, I would say, of eating right, working out, just staying the course, drinking tons of water, getting plenty of rest, all that stuff. Um, and I will get down to my goal weight of 190, at which point the goal at that point will be to maintain it and not go back up. Because just because I hit 190 doesn't mean I can go back to the way things were before. And that's also the key is like, for me at least, once I get the weight off, I need to keep the weight off. And so these alterations I've made to my diet and lifestyle become permanent changes, not just temporary things. And then I can go back to the way things were before all of this. And in that spirit, doing things slowly over time is better because you will get used to it. And then it'll just be what you do. And it's not a thing you do in order to lose weight. It's just how you are now. So you got to ease into it. Ease into, into fitness and eating right. So, and this message comes to you from the Andrew Logan Council of Better Health and Fitness. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Chapter 13. Do you believe in fairies in a young girl's heart? Anyway. The more quickly this horror is disposed of, the better. The first to emerge from his tree was Curly. He rose out of it into the arms of Ciso, who flung him to Smee, who flung him to Starkey, who flung him to Bill Jukes, who flung him to Noodler. And so he was tossed from one to another till he fell at the feet of the Black Pirate. All boys were plucked from their trees in this ruthless manner, and several of them were in the air at times like bales of goods flung from hand to hand. And here's another etching of pirates flinging these children about. That's a little, a little twisted. That's a little terrifying. That's a big tree. A different treatment was accorded to Wendy, who came last, with ironical, ironical politeness. Sure. Hook raised his hat to her, and offering her his arm, escorted her to a spot where the, page 186, others were being gagged. He did with such an air, he was so frightfully distinguished, that she was too fascinated to cry out. She was only a little girl. 
Perhaps it is the telltale to divulge that for a moment Hook entranced her. And we tell on only because uh, her slip led to strange results. Had she haughtily unhanded him, and we should have loved to write of her, uh, write it of her, she would have been hurled through the air like the others, and then Hook would probably have not been present at the tying of the children. Had not been, um, had, um, had he not been at the tying, he would not have discovered slightly secret, and without the secret, he could not presently have made his foul attempt on Peter's life. They were tied to prevent their flying away, doubled up with their knees close to their ears, and for the trussing of them, the black pirate had cut a rope into nine equal pieces. All went well until Slightly's turn came, when he was found uh, to be like those irritating parcels that used up all the string going around and leave no tags with which to tie a knot. The pirates kicked him in their rage, just as you, page 1887, kicked the parcel. Though in fairness, you should kick the string. And strange to say, it was Hook who told them to belay their violence. His lip was curled with malicious triumph. While his dogs were merely sweating because every time they tried to pack the unhappy lad tight in one part, he bulged in another, Hook's mastermind had gone far beneath slightly surface, probing not for effects, but for causes. And his exultation showed that he had found them. Slightly, white with uh, to the gills, knew that uh, Hook had surprised his secret, um, which was this, that no boy so blown out could use a tree wherein an average man needed to stick. Poor Slightly, most wretched of all children now, for he was in a panic about Peter bitterly, bitterly regretted what he had done. Madly addicted to the drinking water when he was hot, he had swelled in consequence to his present girth, and instead of reducing himself to fit into the tree he had, unknown to the others, whittled his tree to make it fit him. Sufficient of this... So wait, this child drank so much water, he's too fat for his tree, so he had to carve his tree to fit his new fatness? That's pretty funny. Sufficient of this, Hook guessed uh, to persuade him that Peter at last lay at his mercy, but no word of the dark design that now formed in page 28, the subterranean caverns of his mind crossed the lips, merely signal or signed that the captives were to be conveyed to the ship and that he would be alone. How to convey them? Hunched in their ropes, they might indeed be rolled down the hill like barrels, but most of them lay, th uh, lay through a morose. A morass. Morass? Morass. I think it's morass. Again, Hook's genius surmounted difficulty. He indicated that the little house must be used as a conveyance. The children were flung into it, forced out pirates, raised it on their shoulders. The others fell in behind, singing in the hateful pirate chorus. The strange procession set off through the wood. I do not know whether if any of the children were crying. If so, their singing drowned out the sound. But as the little house disappeared into the forest, a brave, though tiny, jet of smoke issued from its chimney as if defying Hook. Hook saw it. And it did Peter a bad service. It dried up any trickle of pity for him that may have remained in the pirate's infuriated breast. The first thing he did on finding himself alone in the fast-falling night was to tiptoe to Slightly's, page 189 tree, and to make sure it had provided him with a passage. Then, for long, he remained brooding, his hat of ill omen on the sword, so that a gentle breeze which had arisen might play refreshingly off his hair. Refreshingly. Refreshingly, officer. Of his glorious locks. Done by, um... Oh, what's the... What's... Garnet? Sure. Garnet fruit teas. What's the other fucking... Dove? I can't remember any shampoo com companies. I use Aussie, by the way. In case you guys are wondering. My luscious golden locks would have... Would have grown so fucking long... In this... Ongoing situation. I'm like two weeks away from being able to tuck my bangs behind my ears again. I say again because I, I had shoulder-length blonde hair in college. Um, 
and I'm rapidly getting close to that again. I, my hair is longer now than it has been in, well, since I got it all chopped off. So, woo! I know it's like the the low, least of anyone's concerns, but it's um, it's up there. It's one of mine. So anyway, dark as um as were his thoughts, for his blue eyes were as soft as the periwinkle. Intently he listened for any sound from the nether world, but all was silent below. As above, the house under the ground seemed to be but one more empty tenement in the void. Was that boy asleep, or did he stand waiting at the foot of Slightly's tree with a dagger in his hand? There was no way of knowing, save by going down. Hook let his cloak slip softly to the ground, then biting his lips till a lewd blood stood on them, he stepped into the tree. He was a brave man, for a uh, but for a moment he had to stop there and wipe his brow, which was dripping like a candle. Then silently he let himself go into the unknown. He arrived unmolested at the foot of the shaft and stood still again, biting at his breath, which had almost left him. As his eyes began accustomed to the dim light of various objects in page 190, the home under the tree took shape. But the only one on which his greedy gaze rested, long sought for and found at last, was the great bed. On the bed lay Peter fast asleep. Holy shit, is Peter about to get ganked at night? Let's find out. I'm going to read it super seriously. Here we go. Unaware of the tragedy being enacted above, Peter had continued for a little time after the children left to play gaily on his pipes, no doubt rather than a forlorn attempt to prove to himself that he did not care. He Then he decided not to take his medicine so as to grieve Wendy. He, uh, then he laid down on the bed outside the coverlet to vex her still more, for she had always tucked them inside it, because you never know uh, that you may not grow chilly at the turn of night. Then he nearly cried. But it struck him how indignant she would be if he laughed instead. So he laughed a hearty laugh and fell asleep in the middle of it. Sometimes, though not often, he had dreams. And they were more painful than the dreams of other boys. For hours he could not be separated from these dreams, though he wailed piteously in them. They had to do, I think, with the riddle of his existence. At such times it had been Wendy's custom to take him out of bed, page 191, and sit with him on her lap, soothing him in dear ways of her own invention. And when he grew calmer, to put him back to bed before he quite woke up, so that he should not know the indignity to which she had subjected him. But on this occasion, he had fallen at once into a dreamless sleep. One arm dropped over the edge of the bed, one leg arched, and the unfinished part of his laugh was standing on his mouth, which was open, showing the little pearls. I really hate any time they describe his tiny baby teeth. That upsets me so fucking much. Um, also... I was always of the opinion that you don't have a dreamless night's sleep. You do dream, you just don't remember it. I feel like we dream every night, we just forget them in the morning. That's my that's my theory, personally. But perhaps it is possible to have a dreamless night's sleep. Thus defenseless, Hook found him. He stood silent at the foot of the tree, looking across the chamber at his enemy. Did no feeling of compassion disturb his somber breath, breast? The man was not wholly evil. He loved flowers, I've been told, and sweet music. He, uh, he was himself no mean performer on the harpsichord. And let it be frankly admitted, the idyllic nature of the scene stirred him profoundly. Mastering by, mastered by his better self, he would have returned reluctantly up the tree, but for one thing. What stayed him was Peter's impertinent appearances. He slept the open mouth, the drooping arm, the arched knee. They were, page 192, such a personification of cockiness as taken together would ne will never again, one may hope, to be, be presented to eyes so sensitive to their offensiveness. They stilled Hook's heart. If his, um, if his rage had broken him into a hundred pieces, every one of them would have disregarded the incident and leapt at the sleeper. Though a light from one of the lamps shone dimly on the bed, Hook stood in the darkness himself. And at the first stealthy step forward, he discovered an obstacle, the door of Slightly's tree. It did not entirely fill the aperture, um, and, um, and he had been o uh, looking over it. 
Feeling for the catch, he found to his fury that it was low down beyond his reach. To his disordered brain, it seemed uh, then that the irritating quality in Peter's face and figure uh, visibly increased, and he rattled the door and flung himself against it. Was his enemy to escape him after all? But what was that? The red in his eyes had caught sight of Peter's medicine standing on the ledge with an easy reach. He fathomed uh, what it was straight away. Immediately, he knew that the sleeper was in his power. Lest he should be taken alive, hook always... Uh, page one, page one ninety three carried about his person a dreadful drug blended by himself of all the death dealing rings that had come into his possession. These he had boiled down into a yellow liquid quite unknown to science, which was probably the most virulent poison in existence. Five drops of this he now added to Peter's cup. His hand shook, but it was in exultion rather than in shame. As he did it, he avoided glancing at the sleeper, but not lest pity should unnerve him merely to avoid spilling. Then one long, gloating look he cast upon his victim, and turning, wormed his way with difficulty up the tree. As he emerged at the top, he looked uh, the very spirit of evil breaking from its hole. Dying his hat as uh, its most um, rakish angle, rakish, he wound his cloak around them, holding one end in front as if to conceal his person from the night, of which it was the blackest part. Muttering strangely to himself, he stole away through the trees. So, uh, just a real quick note here. I feel like fucking Captain Hook is easily a more terrifying villain than um whom he is inspired by Long John Silver and I know in this book even Silver supposedly feel feared Captain Hook and I think that's an accurate statement like these descriptions are just so much more um vivid and I think I know like we haven't really had a uh, like a, a true born villain in um any of the books that we've read on the podcast so far, and it's it's nice to have such a uh, such a vivid image of this malevolent pirate creature who is really just out to kill children. So, pretty terrifying, all things considered. Peter slept on. The night guttered and went, or the light guttered and went out, leaving the tenement in darkness. But still, he slept. He must it must have been not less by ten o'clock uh, than ten o'clock by the crocodile, uh, when he suddenly sat, page one ninety four, up in his bed, wakened by he knew not what. It was a soft, cautious tapping on the door of his tree. Soft and cautious, but in that stillness it was sinister. Peter felt for his dagger till his hand gripped it. Then he spoke. Who was that? For long there was no answer. Then again the knock. Who are you? No answer. He was thrilled, and he loved being thrilled. In two strides he reached his door. Unlike Slightly's door, it filled the aperture so that he could not see be, uh, behind it or beyond it, nor could the one knocking uh, see him. I won't open unless you speak, Peter cried. Then at last the visitor spoke in a lovely bell-like voice. Let me in, Peter. It was Tink and quickly he unbarred it to her. She flew in excitedly, her face flushed, and her dress stained with mud. What is it? Oh, you could never guess, she cried, and, page 195, offered him three guesses. Out with it, he shouted, and in one ungrammatical sentence, as long as the ribbons conjured pulled from their mouth, she told of the capture of Wendy and the boys. Peter said, bobbed up and down as he listened. Wendy bowed on the pirate ship, uh, she who loved everything to be just so. I'll rescue her, he cried, leaping at his weapons. As he leapt, though, uh, as he leapt, he thought of something he could do to please her. He could take his medicine. His hand closed on the fatal draft. No! Shrieked Tinkerbell, uh, for who had heard Hook muttering about his deed as he sped off through the forest. Why not? It is poisoned. Poisoned? Who could have poisoned it? Hook, don't be silly. How could Hook have gotten down here? Alas, Tinkerbell could not explain this, for even she did not know the dark secret of Slightly's tree. Nevertheless, Hook's words, page 196, had left no room for doubt. The cup was poisoned. Besides, Peter said, never quite, uh, quite believing himself, I never fell asleep. He raised the cup. 
No time for words now, time for deeds. And with one of her lightning movements, Tink got between his lips and the draft and drained it to the dregs. Why, Tink, how dare you drink my medicine? But she did not answer. Already she was reeling in the air. What is the matter with you? Cried Peter suddenly afraid. It was poison, Peter, she told him softly. And now I'm going to be dead. Oh, Tink, did you drink it to save me? Yes. But why, Tink? Her wings could have scarcely carried her now, but in reply she alighted on his shoulder and gave his chin a loving bite. She, she whispered in his ear, You silly ass. And then tottering to her chamber, lay down on the bed. His head had almost filled the fourth wall of her little room as he knelt near her in distress, every moment her light growing fainter, and he knew that if it went out, she would be no more. She liked his tears so much that she put out her beautiful finger and let them run over it. My God. She liked his tears so much that she was just like, Yes, your tears soothe me, Peter. I'm dying. I love this tear. I'm going to drink it. Mm, it's delicious. I'm dead. Her voice was so low that at first he could not make out what she said. Then he made it out. She was saying that she thought she could get well again if children believed in fairies. Peter flung out his arms. There were no children here, and it was nighttime. But he addressed all who might be dreaming of the Neverland, and who were therefore nearer to him than you think boys and girls in the night is, and naked papooses in their baskets hung from the trees. Do you believe? He cried. Tink sat up in bed almost briskly to listen to her fate. She fancied she heard answers in the affirmative, and then again she wasn't sure. What do you think? She asked Peter. If you believe, he shouted at them. Clasp your hands. Don't let Tink die. Many clapped. Some didn't. A few little beasts hissed. The clapping suddenly stopped, as if countless mothers had rushed in the nurseries to see on earth what was happening. But already Tink was saved. For first her voice grew strong, then she popped out of bed, and she was flashing through the room more merry and impudent than ever. She never thought of thanking those who believed, but she would have liked to get at the ones who had hissed. Now to rescue Wendy. The moon was riding in the cloudy heaven when Peter rose from his tree. Burgert. Begirt with weapons and wearing little else to set out upon his perilous quest. It was not such a night that he, um, as he would have chosen. He had hoped to fly, keeping not far from the ground so nothing unwanted should escape his eyes. But in that fitful light, uh, but in that fitful light to have flown low would have meant trailing shadow through the trees, thus disturbing the birds and acquainting a watchful foe that he astir. He regretted now that he had given the birds, page 199, of the island such strange names that they were very wild and difficult to approach. There was no other course but to press forward in indigenous people's fashion, at which, happily, he was adept. But in what direction? For he could not be sure that the children had already been taken to the ship. A slight fall of snow had obliterated all footmarks. Snow? What the fuck? All right, whatever. And a deadly silence pervaded the island, as if for a space nature stood uh, still in horror of recent carnage. He had taught the children something of the forest lore that he himself had learned from Tiger Lily and Tinkerbell, and knew that in their dire hour they were not likely to forget it. Slightly, if he had an opportunity, would blaze the trees. For instance, Curly would drop seeds, and Wendy would leave her handkerchief at some important place. But morning was needed to search for guidance, and he could not wait. The upper world called him, but he would give, but would give no help. The crocodile passed him, but not another living thing, not a sound, not a movement. Yet he knew well that sudden death might be at the next tree or stalking him from behind. Page two hundred. He swore a terrible oath. Hook on me this time. Now he crawled forward like a snake, and again, erect. He darted across the space on which the moonlight played, one finger on his lips and his dagger at the ready. He was frightfully happy. Yeah, this book is intense. Thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of The Going Up Cast. I hope you enjoyed the chapters. Uh, take a look at Iron Man on PlayStation VR and Gorn, if you are so inclined. 
And if you are working on any sort of changes in terms of diet or fitness or whatever in these ongoing situations, I wish you the best of luck. Remember that change does not happen overnight. It takes time and you got to eat. Also, if you uh, check out the video on my Patreon, thank you very much. And especially a big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. It means the absolute world to me. And I hope you enjoy the series. I'm about to go film the next chapter of that series right now. And I will see you all throughout this week for Eldest Chapters. And again next week for a brand new episode of The Going Up Cast. Have a good one, everyone.